Nazareth. At last we were strong enough to leave for Nazareth. We stayed in an inn there, as we were the only guests we were well cared for. I was truly enchanted by this upland village. Though there are several modern religious buildings too conspicuous on the hills, yet the inherent perfection of the place remains. There is a grace about Nazareth, not easy to be matched. Its white pink walls give it a shell-like quality, and the houses cluster about the hillsides like the mud nests of swallows. It was here that Jesus had been brought up. I thought of this native, of this Jew, whose name, by a swerve in the natural sequence of cause and effect, has so bewitched our hearts. When once we have rid our minds of all church teaching, how deeply we can be moved by the few authentic utterances of this prophet. So sensitive, so stamped with immortal simplicity. Churchmen can hold up their hands in horror at free speech and heretical thoughts, and yet it is they who have betrayed him. It is they who have caught his willful sprite and shut it up in the churches like a linnet. How swift was the flash of this man's intelligence. How reckless of all unconven how reckless of all conventional restraint. He showed clearly that underneath the pushing, ugly, strapping world there was a quality as inexplicable, as rueful, as the love of a zebra for its dead mate. Say what you will, he was not of their fellowship. He suspected ritual and religious ceremonies. We went up into the village on the first night of our arrival. We passed close by the synagogue where Jesus had preached on that morning when his neighbours had sought to kill him. It was within the circle of loose stones that he was learned as ABCs. It was perhaps here that intimations of his heroic purpose had first come to him, when with his child eyes veiled in a daydream he had looked through the open door toward the hill of Our Lady's fright, heedless of the voice of the good Kazan droning on. There were already lights in the bazaars. The narrow streets were crowded. We passed carpenter shops, cobbler shops, smith shops. Hidden in the foundations of those dark houses, there were without doubt thousands of stones which had been worked into shape before the birth of Christ. There must be stones there that he himself had lifted, could we but come to a knowledge of dumb matters, forgotten secrets for in his age, a carpenter's trade was often equivalent to that of a builder. We walked back above the road, high up on the slope of the hill. The stone-worn path led us through a burial place. If we stepped from it and stumbled against forlorn, dusty graves. We came into a narrow lane with sandy boulders projecting from its sides. Down this lane, in the dusk of the evening, an old lean cow was ambling. She was evidently returning to her shed. She advanced slowly, but with purpose, her hindquarters lowering themselves whenever the way was more than usually steep. After she had passed, I saw her, saw her put her muzzle to the sandy dust, as though smelling out the direction she wished to take. The ox knoweth his owner, and the ass his master's crib. These days we spent at Nazareth were perhaps the happiest of all. We were determined not to hurry away. We wished to grow accustomed to the place, 
to grow familiar with its houses, its cornerstones, its back lanes. There was a moon most of the time. One night when it was in the first quarter, we walked along the road past the threshing floor and Mary's well to the hillside opposite. The air was mild and we sat for a long while, looking at the village, so wan and silent in its midnight beauty. Far up above us I could see the Pleiades, which my mother on winter nights, walking back from prayer meetings, would often say looked like a trinket of priceless gems. Below them were the Hyades and the planet Jupiter, while beyond and beyond again was outstretched the fathomless infinitude of the heavens. How poised the village looked, how motionless. Yet it had a terrene appearance also, as though it had for long ages been sheltered from the fearful conflagrations of the outer spaces and from the loneliness of the outer voids. Far away some dogs were barking and I heard an ass bray. If Jesus is in very truth a God, the Son of God, he must surely hold always in remembrance, nay, in actual vision, this upland circle. The curves and shadows I looked upon under the white light of the moonshine must even now be in his mind, tenderly acknowledged as existing in memory. For he could never have forgotten the nature of the planet of his sojourn, never have forgotten the nature of the Earth's appeal, so intimate, so lovely, so strange. Who knows, but through the music of the crystal spheres, he catches the reiterated sound of the hooped waves breaking upon the world's seashores, and the impartial crying of the white gulls, articulate of nature's unthinking confidence. I dream. It cannot be. His dust, the dust of Jesus Christ, so pitiable and so proud, has long since been transformed into infinitesimal particles blown hither and thither amongst littered olive leaves. It has been moved aside by the feet of obedient mules. It has given sustenance to the fair innocence of the grass of the land. Dead, dead, dead. Since the human body drooped after its last cry of despair, there has been no reviving. Ruined and again ruined. Only this religion remains to save the memory of the man so passionate and so to be adored. How extraordinary that it should all have happened as it has happened. Like lost children in a wood, we will follow any light. We are intimidated by death, hungry for reassurance. We demand that the secret nature of things should be solicitous for our welfare. Though they prosper for a time, all our fond credulities must one by one be abandoned. We have been deceived, and we are deceived. We thrive on cozenage, as nanny goats and quails on the poison of hellebore. Passing down that road with no footfall sounding but our own, with the hooting of an owl from a sprawling fig tree, with tiny crickets piping, with the flickering shadows of bats on the white dust. I would gladly have had Christianity to be true. Yesterday I received a letter from an old servant. Her husband, a miner in South Wales, has been out of work for nearly a year, and they have been living in inconceivable poverty. 
I hope this year will be better, she wrote, for you never did see such poverty, what to be about in these parts. We must put our trust in God, as your old father used to tell us, in the pulpit on Sundays. Yet actually there is none to save, no divine power capable of sudden intervention. Every hour, every day, simple people are rudely trodden down and innocence is betrayed, and nothing said. In old times I used often to talk with Betsy Cooper, the daughter of Nancy Cooper, the Odkin witch. It was her custom to come to the back door for a cup of cocoa after picking up sticks in the park. She was dressed in fold upon fold of tattered rags, was lousy, and was ignorant of everything, but her joy at hearing the cuckoo in the spring. And yet I have seen the tears pour down her wrinkled cheeks and grained with dirt, for no better reason than that the Jews had sacrificed Jesus. Oh dearie I, look see, how terrible bad did they serve he? And I would turn away from the old woman and go along the kitchen garden path with the yellow April sunshine upon the yellow forsythia and upon the yellow trumpets of the daffodils. That midnight, at any rate, my soul was nurtured in reality. For in spite of the treason of the moon, I marked clearly with my mortal eyes the round shadows cast by the hands of the cactuses held up against the white roadside wall, the very prickles growing out of them visibly defined, an insistent shadow of a shadow marked down on a crumbling segment of an unhusbanded universe. <laughs> 